All right, welcome to Wealth Cartel Legends, where we talk about how hindsight is a motherfucker. Um, our mission, guys, is to stop people saying, I wish I had listened, and to help people to capitalise on everyone else's mistakes before making them yourself. Yeah, in summary, our tagline says it all. Uh, turn our hindsight into your foresight so you don't have to make the same mistakes that we did. That's a $20 fucking glass of scotch because they wouldn't let us have a shot. Uh, we're actually at Bella Vista Hotel, guys, by the way. We should give them a shout-out there. Um, we do tag them. Yeah, Bella Vista Hotel, shout-out. We should put in our intro, actually. Yeah, they're, um, they're letting us record in here for free. The light, we need to fix the lighting, but other than that, we're pretty good. Hello, welcome to, what are we, episode four-ish, five? Episode four, yeah. Episode four. Um, today's guest, we've got Charles Joyner. Welcome. The chosen one. The Charles, chosen the chosen one. We're, we're launching today that he's the chosen one. Look at that uh, light still on me. Yeah, look at Jesus' chosen one. And maybe Lucifer's chosen, who knows. Um, so Charles is a two-time amateur super light heavyweight uh, kickboxing undefeated champion who's just turned pro, and he won that as well, so we're going to say he's still undefeated. Yeah. Uh, fights out of Evolution Gym as well as in the Ethos Performance Team, which a few of our guests have used as well. Um, welcome, mate. Welcome to the podcast. How's things? Yeah, good, good. Obviously, things at the moment have been a bit different, different yeah. times, obviously, for everyone. But yeah, no, things are good, just chipping away and trying to improve wherever I can. So yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Are you in a camp at the moment? Not in it well, I'm helping out um I'm helping out Ty to Ivasa for his for his one of his camps. So which has been good because it means I can just stay focused and get some good sparring in and yeah. keep training well. So you spar with Ty? Yeah, yeah. But um but no it's good like he's he's con- I find when you're the more experienced you are, the more controlled you can be. Do you know what I mean? Like normally when I get injured with sparring it's when I'm sparring people that are beginners yeah because they just sort of do weird movements and will lash out yeah. and then hit your knee hit or, yeah 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 no well, they'll get hit and they want to come straight back yeah. but when you're when you're with more experienced people you can you can understand the value you can bring to each other mark so, yeah. hunt was saying that in one of these things in a few of his camps that that's happened yeah. like you'll get younger people in and and they'll start yeah. throwing hands and he's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> don't hurt me man <laughs> that justin gacy gacy head kick the other day no in training did you see that no i didn't see it no look that up He's training sparring someone. I don't know who it is. It looks like a nobody. And the dude just sort of gets in close and Gaethje drops his hands oh. and he head kicks him with a left. Like, he's he got pads yeah, on. Yeah. But, bro, like, ate it. Fully mm-hmm. ate it. And just, and like, the dude backed up with his hands up like, fuck. So oh, like, really? Bro, like, he freaked. Because he obviously was, like, like training. Yeah. I don't think he meant, I don't think he thought he was going to get him. And he just yeah. shocked himself. Bro, snapped his head back, ate it. Yeah. Face first. And... Did Gaethje do anything? No, nah, like, he just shaped back... A, like I'm, t- it would have dropped a lot of people, bro. Like that, he's a meathead, bro. That's Maybe. like he's no, a fucking weapon, eh? Easy, I'm gonna love him. Do you, do you, have you seen Rockhold and stuff spar as well? Um, I've seen. I've, I know they go hard. Yeah, okay, ridiculous, yeah. man. Like, that's why they're always injured. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's why he's got no chin. Exactly, he's getting dropped in training. But there's a lot of them, eh? Like a lot of that. A lot of that goes on in in certain gyms and stuff. I, I read a lot in regards to the because that intrigues me more than the. I love the fight. But the training, the method of training moving forward intrigues me mm. as much as the fight because I want to know, do you, fuck, when you play footy, you don't bash your own teammates, but when you go out there, you're expected to bash someone. When you fight, are you fucking bashing each other? Or? Well, Max Holloway reckons in his last camp for COVID, he had no sparring. He's the best camp he's ever had. Yeah, but I mean, once you're in that experience and you've had maybe however many fights and you've been world champ, or maybe you don't need to spar, but, like, coming up, obviously you're bashing each other. Like, they Borg, but, like, they, when they spar, they... Like I've I've been live watching him for him spar against people that are his friends, and I'm like I'm. We got the man here. What do you reckon? What do you? How do you fight in your camps? Well, is it no exactly like you said when you're coming up, 
you need to have hard rounds because you don't want your first time you get hit hard to be in a fight. Like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. But, but um, yeah, no, exactly. Like when you when you get more experienced, you learn how to like still have a good intensity but control it. Yeah. But also, it also depends on this because boxing. I know that most boxing gyms and most fighters they will spar pretty much a hundred percent. Like, yeah. and there's people getting dropped left, right, and center. But with MMA and kickboxing, I think it's a little bit different because because you're you know you there's just more places to hit and there's way more ways that you can pick up injuries as well. So it's with boxing with the sparring, you probably don't get injured as much because everything's padded and you know what I mean. There's well, you're only covering your head and your and your and your body, right? Yeah, exactly, like you're not covering yeah. up your legs and yeah. The other thing with with MMA that's hard is that with <coughs> wait, is elbow kickboxing still got elbows? Uh, not not K one. Yeah, so it's knee, yeah, so the style I do is boxing, kicks and knees. Yeah, yeah. cool. Because yeah. then I know like in MMA, they, you, no, no one ever drops knees and, and elbows in sparring mm. and then they get into a fight and mm. you got these razor blades coming at yeah. your head. I, I do sometimes drop knees. But... <laughs> 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 well, accidentally or? Uh, depends how much I'm getting bashed. Yeah, you look like you'd be a knee type of blade. Yeah, like that's those my, big yeah. But you notice it, you notice it as well, especially like with the elbow, especially more time stuff like, they, they, when they spar in my trailers, a lot more elbows because they control it. But mm. you can tell the difference when they're going to clinch in a fight in, the, in like in an actual match, like an actual competition fucking rounds. They people who are out of the clinch, they kind of it's like they feel like they're still sparring. They'll just like break and then you yeah. get those ones that will come off elbow. the clinch. And I was like, cool, yeah. and you're thinking you didn't practice that one. Yeah, that <laughs> elbow from hell. You see that elbow that, that Matt Brown. Like oh, he just yeah, like he like sort of breaks and the dude just goes, oh yeah, finished. Mm. And he just threw that elbow and, mm. and ended him. I remember watching a fight years ago. It was um, McKinnon, Steve McKinnon versus... <laughs> mm. Steve McKinnon versus fucking... The, what's the gun from the Gold Coast? Corbett. Corbett. Mm. And they just were elbowing each other, yeah. bro. And there was like... We were ringside. So the dude that I used to plaster with, he lived with McKinnon. He was his, his oh, yeah, mate. Yeah. So they got tickets, right? And there was blood going on people mm. in, the, in the side of the ring, bro. And they ca- they called the fight. That was the best fight. They called the fight off because of a cut. Mm. And both of them were in the ring, fucking blowing mm. up, going, "Let us fucking fight!" Like it was unreal, eh? Yeah, do you do you know Sam Greco much? I I don't know him personally, but I know of him. Yeah, he's um he's, he was K one, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's training Jimmy Crude at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like I like Jimmy Crude. Jimmy's a yeah. free, he's a madman, yeah. eh? Hey, yeah. Country boy, yeah. madman. I like his <laughs> attitude. He's just. He, he changed a lot because I worked a bit with um his manager Reese from okay. Rival yeah. before Reese left and he um he was telling me about him and I said man he's just a bit loose eh hey? like he's mm. a bit loose but then he went away when he lost and he mm. he he said to Reese like I need to turn into more of a professional yeah and he did and he that in the last fight that he just won uh, where he came back he looked unbelievable like yeah he, I don't know who that is. Tim McCrude, yeah, I'll look him up. He's light heavyweight. Is he? Yeah, yeah, Tyson yeah. Pedro overshadowed him. Everyone followed Tyson, but Jimmy was. Jimmy, yeah, yeah it's, it's sort of hard in, in the sport. That that's we spoke about. I spoke about that with uh, with Arlene. When you're a footy player, <clears throat> there's 16 sides, 17 top grade players. Like you got that's a fucking lot of players. Yeah, you can be top say 300, and you get a you get a good contract or a decent contract. With the fighters out of Oz, you got to be top. Yeah. yeah. Now he he until Tyson lost. When Tyson lost, people started watching Jimmy a bit. Mm. But um. He was the quite the dark horse. He's just a banger, eh? Just yeah. there and bang. The brute. Yeah, the brute. The brute crew. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, let's get back on the agenda. So we've introduced you a little bit, but give us a bit of intro to you. How would you intro yourself? Who are you? Where you're from? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think we're in the fighting world. I think my story is probably a little bit a bit different because I 
you know, I, I didn't go the conventional route that a fighter would go after school, went into uni because that was what, is it, what, what was expected of me was doing um, a law and commerce degree and was working towards that. But for me, there was just no, no passion in it. It was literally just, uh, you know, this is what parents expect of you. This is what, you know, is considered to be a good career path. So mm -hmm. I started working towards that. And then um, I was just re yeah, just realizing that it wasn't, it wasn't for me. So it got to the point where I thought, hey, what do I want to do with life? You know, we got one life to live. Most important thing to me is waking up each day and being happy with what I'm doing, you know. So I just started kickboxing really and I thought I was really getting into it, really enjoying it. So I decided to to start pursuing that. Just started training hard and really just completely reformulated my life around the goals that I'd set in kickboxing, which are, you know, quite lofty now. They just first started off as being a professional kickboxer, but now they've, you know, like world champion, all those sort of things. And yeah, basically the past four years my whole life has just completely become about kickboxing. So when did you go full-time kickboxing? So full-time kickboxing, I mean, I finished uni 2018, but... So you completed your degree? Yeah, finished the degree. Oh, look out. We've got a scrapping lawyer here. You've got to come that'll bash her, then, then front of counter-sue criminal lawyer. <clears throat> you can't get me on any, on any, on any grounds here. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, but I mean, the thing with me was when... When I made the decision that this is what I was going to do, I wanted to finish my degree, but I made sure that I was training like a professional. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'd say I was full-time kickboxing probably from about 2017, just training full-time hard. And I probably tapered down how much I was training because I was definitely overtraining at first and that there was no balance there whatsoever. Like I was just burning the candle at both ends. But yeah, and then had a good amateur career, went undefeated, sort of beat everyone there was to be in the amateurs in my weight class and then made a decision to go pro at the start of the year. Obviously things are on hold at the moment, but yeah, that sort of. Well, so you're the world's longest champion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, much. utilize it, bro. Don't, yeah. don't look at it as a bad thing. Utilize it. So where, where, where's home? Like where's home for you? Where'd you grow up as a kid? So yeah, so I was born in England. Live there. Too. I heard a little bit yeah, of it. I was wondering just a was, little bit. Hey, it wasn't yeah. enough to be like, hey, yeah. yeah. I don't even, where, where are they taking Aussies on this podcast? Where are you going to have to fucking leave? <laughs> I'll see myself there. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, yeah. So born in England and then dad was in, um, in the Navy. So he was sort of getting loads of different foreign postings. Moved to um, Malaysia for three years. Lived there from six till nine. Then went to Gibraltar, which is like a little little um, British territory at the bottom of Spain. Um, was there for about a year and a half and then came to Australia when I was 10, just about a 10, 11. So I've been here for 15, 14 years now and um, and then lived in Castle Hill pretty much the whole time. Yeah, right. So nice and local. Yeah, Hills boy. Yeah, Hills, Hills boy. boy out of Gibraltar. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> I've never heard of that place before, bro. So, so childhood, that, that's, I mean... It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of um, kids don't understand. Um, like it would have been cool, it would have been hard as well, I suppose, moving around a lot. But you know what? Because because it, it was a young age, it made our family really close, and it made me really good at just forgetting that not forgetting, but leaving everything behind where I was, and then just being okay. Now we're moving here, and then focusing on that. No attachment issues here. Yeah, pretty, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it, bro. That's yeah. a positive. That's a like yeah. a, it's a real positive way to look at things. Mm. I mean, that's we're big on that. We're big on leaving the shit in, but you know, in the past yeah. and sort of moving forward. And we we 
touch on nearly every podcast, the fact that a lot of your mental health issues come from stewing on shit that happened before instead of looking forward. So, yeah. you, you know, it, it happened and everyone knows it happened. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do to change it. So you've got to get past it. A exactly. lot of a lot of people have that issue of they can't let go, you know? Mm. So, I mean, that's massive early on. How long are you in Malaysia for? Three years. <laughs> Three years. That, we got, we got, there's another mate of mine who, because I was in the army. So oh, another yeah, mate yeah. of mine who was in the army who lives in the hills as well. We'll probably end up getting him on here as well. You got the common, commendation from Gallantry when we when we served, when he went over to Afghan. So yeah, right. he, um, but his dad was military as well. And he, he lived in Malaysia as a kid. For a few years oh, as well, yeah. so it probably would have been the same. Whereabouts was it? In KL, Kuala Lumpur. Okay, you're in KL. No, yeah. he was down at, um, I think he was in Butterfringi. Okay. I think he was down, down that way. I keep saying these places, man. I'm pretty well around. I don't know where the fuck Butterfringi is. You don't want to go to Butterfringi. It's <laughs> <laughs> horrible, bro. Oh, I don't know. I don't it's know those places. Oh, that's... KL's nice. KL's yeah, good. It's, um, it's a cool place. Tech heavy. Yeah. Very I think heavy. it was, Um, we were there when, when it was at a like a transition oh no it was like when you go back now it's quite different to because we were there 01 to 04 but we we sort of lived that um like the military lifestyle there which is which was good is there on a base or no no it was um he worked in the the embassy the british embassy because he was with the british navy at that time and we lived in a apartment block and it was cool there was like loads of kids my age in the apartment block so it was just all military kids uh, a lot of no, but a lot of like expats, so a lot of people like their parents were doing foreign yeah, posting. Yeah, yeah. So you're just from all different cultures, all just in this apartment block. And then there was this cool area down the bottom, and you just go down there. And then you know, like the kids from Sweden would come down. You'd hang out with them, and the kids from Australia. That's would, a cool way to grow up, multicultural, yeah. bro. It's a cool yeah. way to grow up without any without any sort of color in your eyes and, and racism shit yeah. like that growing up like that. You know, hundred percent. And that that was the norm for me because I was so young. So it was um that was a, yeah great experience. And I think it shaped me shaped me now for sure as well. Seen a cool meme yesterday. I, I went to send <laughs> over to you about. No, I'm serious about this. There's two little girls that, in a shopping center and. There's a white girl and a black girl, yeah. and the white girl said they were both in Elsa dresses. And the white girl says to her mum, "Hey, mum, look, it's my twin." Yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, if only the world could see, you know, through this little girl's eyes." She didn't see colour; she just seen yeah. Elsa. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's how we're born to to see. It's, yeah, um, it's to see like you just see as it is. Everything else is learnt, isn't yeah. it? It's, um, fucking crazy. Yeah. So, so that's a pretty cool way to grow up. I guess what I, what we want to know about that, what what are some of the things that you've taken away from being a kid? Like just generically, we'll get more into the money stuff and that later on. But growing up like that, we've just talked about, you know, the, the multicultural and then not having no sort of race issues or learning to leave things on. What else did you did you take away from growing up that way? What really, what did it shape you to, to that you brought into today? I guess, well, for me, family was always important because we were really, I was an only child and... So it was just the three of us sort of just traveling around the world together. And then our family would come out and visit us. And it was always cherishing that time with the family. Um, you know, and I think, I think obviously that, that, that bond became strong. And obviously that's not the same, that's not the same for everyone. But for me, that became really important. Um, and I think it, I think the, the most important thing was that, you know, it's not, and I got, and I probably didn't realize this, what I was learning at a young age, but on reflection, what it would be was that it's not so much about the location where you are, but it's how you perceive it and the, the attitude that you, that you go to. So I remember, especially when we went from Malaysia to Gibraltar, it was worlds apart, the culture. And it was sort of Malaysia where we got really looked after and you sort of, you get used to, you know, that sort of 
lifestyle. And then we went to Gibraltar where it was just the polar opposite, really. And at first we were in a bit, it was like a culture shock at first. But then I remember as a family, we just flipped it around, even from the next day, changed how we were viewing it and perceiving it, and then just made a really enjoyable you know, life for ourselves there for the year and a half we were there when maybe we could have just, you know, kicked up a fuss and complained and been negative and be like, no, nah, this is rough. You know what I mean? Like, and it was, it was all, and I, I realized from that young age that it was all about how you perceive things, not necessarily about what's going on in the external world with that internal perception of it. That's and, a crazy life lesson to learn early, bro. That's, yeah. that's, was there something that made you change? Like, were you always like that? Or did you, were you a bit like, this is shit for a bit and then did something happen to make a change or? Um, I think I guess it, it was following the example of my parents. Yeah, okay. Because, and and it's probably only realize, realize, realizing that's what it was in the past few years. Because when you're young, it's just the norm of what it was. Yeah. But when you, you know, when you start looking back on your, you know, why you do certain things and how you behave a certain way, you start thinking back to your childhood. Oh, maybe that's why I was like that. And that's definitely something I would have taken from my parents is they just, you know, we're put in a situation and it was like, yep, just get on with it. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Make the most out of it. Enjoy it as much as you can. And then, and then you reap the rewards of that. So we, yeah. we have conversations like that with nearly everyone, even Ryan and I have had real big conversations like that. And some, everyone's different in, in the way they find it is what it is, mm. but everyone we have on or anyone that we know that's going well. And, and I know it's a simple, it is what it is, but it's more so the meaning behind it than, than what you say. Yeah. But anyone that's got to that stage in their life, they've started to reap benefits based off of the fact that you can't change what's in the past and, and, and fucking... You can't, just, you can't control it, don't worry about it. Yeah. Just deal with it. 100%. Um, and yeah, like that's starting to become, I think we we really want the you know the audience to see things in common between yourself, Arlene, us, our perception. You know, We've got a few good guests coming up as well. And I reckon that's going to be the number one thing. Mm. Like in my opinion, I feel like what's going to happen is all of these people are going to look and they're going to go, oh, yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. But the problem, and, and they're going to go, whatever, these blokes don't know what they're talking about. But when you watch 15 different people say the exact same thing mm. in a different way, it can then resonate. Yeah. You know, I've got a twitch in my eye. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> can you control it? Yeah. yeah. Charles, um, Smells really good today, by the way. <laughs> Scratch the screen. <laughs> Scratch and sniff on the screen. Um, so you talked about, you know, you, probably the biggest thing I've heard today, which was pretty cool apart from that. That's a commonality, but something that was good, you talked about the, the doing the study and then you changed, your mindset changed about, I can't live like this, I'm not happy about this. Mm. When did, like, what was the thing? What was the catalyst behind that? And, and when when exactly was that? And what do you think, why do you think that was? It's like, it, it's funny because uh, it, it sounds funny recounting the the story and why I think the reason is for it now, but it was really around the time of Conor McGregor's rise to, yeah. when he started. And it was just looking at his story and just how he was, you know, talking about how he was living a, you know, a life that was expected and got a trade like a plumber and he was working on this job site where he just looked around and thought, this just isn't for me. And I remember just, and because of just what he was doing in the sport at that time, and the sport was so new to me, I got really interested in his story and I'd be listening to his motivational videos or his talks and then I'd go to my uni classes and I'm looking around at the people in, in my classes and it's no disrespect to the people in my classes, but it just... He's thinking I'll smoke all these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I, I get, I get yeah. exactly what you're saying. I get mm. that. I've, I've been there before. Mm. And, you, and, yeah, and you just start going, this isn't... I don't see my... Like, you start looking ahead to the future of, okay, imagine 20 years down the line, I've 
I've worked in this industry. I've, and I, I remember at the time or around that time, I'd been working with a, a lawyer in a, in a, he had a small practice and just going in there, I used to just dread going into the, to the chambers and what the, you know, what the atmosphere was like in there. It was just this, it was just a weird atmosphere that just didn't feel, it wasn't a positive environment. I didn't feel and compare that to when I went to my gym evolution gym I just loved going there. Everyone was happy to be there. That was the, that was a part of their day that everyone looked forward to. And, you know, you look at, I was looking at different people that had followed their dreams in, in this fighting world and you could see they had no regrets about it. They were just pushing towards it and they were excited and they, they woke up every day with a, with a passion and for life. And, um, I just thought, you know, we've got one life. I was com and I think, that moving around when I was young and doing different things and being in different cultures gave me the confidence of just being able to try new things and be like, well, I can just do this. And then if it doesn't work out, I'll be fine. I'll just go and do something else anyway. So I thought, yep, I'm just going to give it a go. Were you a brawler as a kid, but did you have nah. blues growing up? Like were you, were you one of those people that you sort of knew you could throw them and that's why you wanted to try kickboxing or you just nah. liked the look of the sport? Cause that's, yeah. To me, I'm like, if you've never thrown a puncher for and you go, you've studied a law degree and you go, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to be a kickboxer. I'm like, where, the, where did you, how did you yeah. do that? Did that, you have a love for the sport? Like, what Like, what was it? That's the funny thing. It was one of those things where when I was younger, I I wasn't I wasn't confrontational. I wouldn't really, I'd always say, consider myself to be street smart. Like, I knew if there was something about a breakout, I'd be, I knew how to avoid it. And I'd, I didn't want to get into those confrontations. In sport, I was always aggressive. Like I would always be, I'd always competitive. Yeah. Competitive and, and play hard. And sometimes that would boil over, but it was like when I'm off the field, just like calm and relaxed and wouldn't really, wouldn't really get into any. The other ones you got to watch, bro. <laughs> You're a killer. <laughs> the ones you got to watch, bro. The sociopath. 100%. You know, like the people that cannot love to fight, but understand it's a sport and a mm. progress and follow strict guidelines in how becoming better. Like a lot mm. of people that fight, they fight because they love to fight because they want to hurt someone or they mm. want to protect themselves and there's like a vested interest before they choose to take to, to fight whereas mm. with you you're like fuck this looks fun yeah <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I could learn this yeah. and, and you know being pro how, how long have you been fighting uh so i started training four and a half years well to, that's that's a pretty short time though like a yeah. lot of people fight growing up you know they might not be in a boxing gym for five yeah. years they might have had 20 fights before they've gone there and then become pro it's a big difference i think mm. That's pretty cool. I think I think and how I how I describe it to people is is because I like when I made that decision when I was twenty to start doing it, it was straight away I made I had that purpose and then I was all in on it. And it was like give up drinking, give up, you know, going out partying, doing whatever, give up, you know, things that I felt like were leaving or holding me back because I did have a relationship that didn't I had a relationship going into it and just because of my how much I dedicated myself to it. It just sort of, we started going different roads and I've been single ever since. But it's over, yeah. It's when we'd, we'd be living a good life now. Fighting, <laughs> yeah. lean, tanned, yeah. Tommy accent, <laughs> fucking beard. You'd be, you'd be having fun. Smell smoking. good. <laughs> <laughs> Knock people out for fun and get paid for it and then, yeah, go home. I, yeah. Yeah, that, there's a big thing there though, because I had a lot of mates with the footy, grow, and you would have the same with footy mates growing up and, and especially when I, like, I was older when the Conor McGregor era started, but a lot of my younger, younger, my mates, younger brothers and stuff, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to live on the dole and try and pursue this fight career, right? Because that was Conor's story. Mm -hmm. But I was, I always thought so many people do that, but there's a point you've got to, like, there's a point that people have to realize that that's not for them. Like, they, they, they can't do it. 
where obviously you've already like you know you've gone pro already you've done really well and you can make something of yourself from where there's so many people that'll they'd stay amateur forever or they'd be losing and they keep grinding at yeah, it Yeah, but a lot of those dudes too they take that route because it they don't they don't like conor mcgregor's story is one thing and and i'm sure you agree He's wouldn't he didn't take the easy route, but he didn't go. I'm on the dole. I'm going to be a fighter, and then sit at home and, and no, think about being a fighter. And a lot of these other dudes go. Connor was on the dole. He can be a fighter. So can I. But they don't put in the same. Thing. But I watch and I see him. I go, geez, like you need it. You need to go get a job. Like, yeah, this, this ain't working yeah. out for you. Especially with footy. A lot of footy players. They'll play. You know, they'll play the the. They'll do Harold Matz and they'll do Jersey Flag. But then the next level, they just they're just grinding away at first grade local, getting paid hundred bucks a game. And but they keep pursuing it, right? Where, where did you see like what was the thing when you gave it a crack? Was there a point where you were like, "No, nah, I can do this"? Yeah. So I think the thing with the the thing with the Conor McGregor thing, and then when I made that decision to pursue it, it was kind of the understanding and the belief that I had was that if you like you said, it, it's Conor didn't just sit there and do nothing about it. He made sure that. What, like he was always going to make it no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, he'd, he'd made that decision that, no, this is what I'm doing. So for me, it was it was the same. It was, I'm making this decision that this is what I'm going to do and nothing's going to nothing's gonna stop me from doing it. So, but obviously in saying that, when I was, you know, after each fight and I was doing better and improving and then sparring people that were, you know, more experienced, I was doing well and then sparring with this person and I was doing well with them, then you start realizing, oh, I can do I can do something with this. Yep. But it kind of it wasn't it was it never felt like a surprise because I'd always had that. No, this is what I'm like. I'm going to make it happen. No matter. There has there does. I don't care who what like that in every sport there has to be a genetic trait, right? Like I couldn't go no matter how hard I work, I could be the next best basketball player. Not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Five foot nothing. Yeah. So there's got to be something there. So there's, so you obviously you were good at it and you kept going, but yeah. some people will pursue something that that's not there. But it's it's good that it worked out mm-hmm. and goes from there. What would you say to people? When, because it's hard, right? Like you're starting something that's scary, or like it's you know you're going down this route that's risky as, mm. as all hell. Mm. How did you get through? You know the hardest. How did you what What did you actually do to make the dedication? Like what rather than just say, I'm going to do it and fall mm. off? How did you do it? I think it was it was one of the most important things was seeking out people that could help me get there, you know, and, and building that team because <clears throat> I think. I don't know if it, if it's pride or whatever it is, but a lot of people they'll they'll try and do things by themselves. But I think if you if you find if you find a, a few different people with the same vision and believe in your vision, you're going to be able to manifest manifest that so much quicker. So for me, it was I was lucky going to Evolution Gym. I feel like my coach Adrian is one of the best striking coaches that no one's heard. Like no, you know what I mean, that not many people have heard of, and hopefully we'll change that in the future. But but he's also very open minded and the sort of person that when I could go to him and say, oh, I want to turn pro and do this, he, it wasn't like, oh, well, no, because you've only just started and, you know, there's all these things holding you back. It was like, okay, let's see what we can do to make this work. So because I had this, started building this network of coaches and, and like-minded people, it helped me become dedicated to it. And I think it's just it's just being disciplined with things. I think, I think also... Another thing I probably got from my parents as well is growing up with a father that's in the military, you, you learn discipline from a young age mm-hmm. and you see like both mum and dad work really hard and they're disciplined in what they do. And so I was blessed in that I got to witness that from a young age of just, just discipline and what hard work can get you. So then when I decided what it was that I wanted to do, 
I, I had that example set for me and I could be like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's only letting myself down if I, if I don't dedicate my, yeah. my all to it. You're a little bit different to our other guests <clears throat> that we're, we're getting on. Like you, you'll probably be the youngest we get. Mm. And I think the reason we did choose to grab you is because when we spoke to Arlene, Arlene had pretty much said that when I spoke to her, she said the guests that we were trying to chase, like the people we were looking at, to change the way they perceive life. We were trying to grab these 20 year olds and say, listen, if you think about it now at 20, mm. you can do it by 25. We didn't do it till 20, you know, Ryan was a little bit younger than me, but I'm 31 now. Mm. 28, I started making the right decisions. And in three years, <clears throat> excuse me, my whole life's changed, right? So what we want to do is you want to grab kids at 18, 19, 20 and get them to do what you've done. You've sort of done it without us. And I think to me, what, like, what I just gained out of that when Ryan just said to you, how did you change your perception or how did you do what you did instead of going, oh, bash people, which a lot of people at 24, 25 years old will do, you instantly said, I gauged, I, you know, I gauged the team. I went and grabbed the team and you sort of... You took the professional mindset. Hand, yeah, and just handed off a lot of your... I mean, you, you, you must have busted your ass for five years to get to where you are, but at mm. the same time, you understand you couldn't do it by yourself. And I think that's a lot of these... That's a lot of the issue in life. Like, I went through life till I was 28 or 29 years old and I never made a decision that didn't benefit me. And then once I, you know, started realizing, I started making decisions to, to benefit other people. My life prospered. Once I started taking advice from people who I respected and believe were better off in life than me, that my life prospered. I think you've learned that 10 years younger than, than a lot of people, bro. So that's a big thing. Yeah. Like, I think that's massive. <coughs> no, yeah, no, I think, I think it, it's, because it, it would, it's that, that, that saying, isn't it? Who you surround yourself is. The average you, of the five. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's, and you, and you see it so like a different stage in my life when I surrounded myself with different people and I just saw, and even just subconsciously, you just see who you end up becoming from it. You know what I mean? You, you, you so I think once I re yeah, like you said, once I realized that, that building that team became so important and, um, and it's because it's just giving me that, giving me that guidance. Like I, I think the person that I see myself as being is someone that I, I know that I'll always find a way. Like whatever challenge is given to me, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, find a solution. But when you've got, you know, five, what I consider to be brilliant minds around you to help power that as well, it just yep. shoots that catapults. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that I think yeah, the people you have around you are so important, and then you can you can just never thank them enough because they're often they're dedicating their time, their energy, and their their finances just to help you to invest succeed. in you. Yeah, yeah. For hang around five millionaires become a millionaire. Hang around mm. five idiots become an idiot. Mm. Yeah, the cool thing is though that like I love that you finished your degree. Yeah, that's amazing because I, I always say to athletes because like, one of my niche markets is athletes as well is what I do, and one thing I always say to them is you've got to understand that the most athletes, unless you're a golfer, golf is pretty much the only one that tennis, forever. tennis is starting mm. to go a bit longer now. Yeah, yeah. but they're painful, man, <clears throat> bad knees mm. is that it's an opportunity. Like the athletic career that, that you've got, there's an opportunity to make the most of it while there. It's not really, Dana White said it like recently, he's like, this is an opportunity run. This is not a career. You've got 10 years like before you're getting, you're getting sore. The best part about you is you can utilize that, but then turn You've got you've backed yourself and done enough with your degree and stuff that realistically, if you wanted to, you, know, you could keep coaching. Whatever you got another backup idea that you could layer on top of this opportunity to long, you know, for bigger things long long term. You know, mm. like that could take you into sports management and that could take you into 
just having yeah. a niche market with a, with athletes or whatever, you know what I mean? Because obviously fighting's not going to get forever. No. Nah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's getting harder as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's getting harder to go long because people are yeah. better fighters. So yeah. Athletically, um, it's changed, hey, the fight. The fight oh, you, athletically now. DC said the other day, he goes, mate, he goes, when I fought John Jones the first time, he like DC was 31 and John was like 25. And he goes, like, I'm, what is he, like 42 or something mm, now? Yeah. He's like, he goes, I can't fight it. Like, I'm not fighting again. I just can't. Like, you look at people too. You look at like Lucas Brown. Like, Lucas Brown, he, he didn't fight. Like he was still working at the Fiddler as a bouncer. I don't know, twenty six. I mate, mean, I don't know. I can't remember the age, but he'd never box, bro. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and and don't get me wrong. Years. Yeah, and but athletically, people are prolonging their careers, but it still stops. It still comes to an end. Lucas is Australia's best ever heavyweight. The, the bloke makes no money. Like, yeah. there's no money in it for him. You know, it's, it's hard it's, as an athlete. You got to get like. Don't get me wrong. You got to bust your fucking that, ass harder how, than most, but you got to get lucky too, bro. You got to get a sponsor. And... Australian sports hard with the finances because don't like you can't lie. Like you need money to yeah you, to get your coaches. Like we had Arlene on last week talking about sponsorships and stuff, and like this fight camp for Cyborg is going to cost a heap. Like mm. she's got to pay coaches their salary. It's fucking crazy. Them. And and mm. but you know, so you can't do the Conor McGregor story just there. Like you, because I know you coach still, yeah? Like mm. you still coach, so yeah. that's paying your way, getting mm. your stream. You've probably got the sponsors. You've got City Cave in there. I've got to try the City Cave. Right? That's, that's good. It looks What's amazing. City Cave? Float, the float centre at Castle Hill. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I'll let go there as well. She goes to another one. No, she does the cryo. Yeah, the, the cryo. Yeah, right. I've gone to try that. Looks. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if I could lay there for that long. I fucking fall with the shit out of it. fall asleep and shit. You'd be surprised. I like doing it for visualisation. So I'll go in there and like relax myself and then just start like visualizing, like especially before fight. I mean, I did one before. <laughs> putting holes in the <laughs> The place is smashed up. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and just... It's like meditation, nearly. Because basically what it is, it's full sensory deprivation. So the water's heated to your body temperature. There's, I can't remember how much salt's in there, but there's so much salt that you float on the top of the water. Um, fully dark room, fully soundproof. So literally, what happens is you literally just become like your mind. You're like floating. A, a floating consciousness. Yeah. I would be that claustrophobic. I'd be no, like, it's a full, this one's a full room, probably like this size, and it's got a bath in there. But it's dark, yeah. Yeah, fully. Yeah, dark. no. See, I'm even like light. floating in the middle of the air in the dark. I'm like, fuck <laughs> this. I'm having a dream. <laughs> like, luminous, uh, back at um, <laughs> back at fucking. Park life, twenty fucking eleven <laughs> on an acid tab or something. No way am I doing this. <laughs> Fuck that. I see him. I see him in Port Macquarie. There's this new one there. That it's the only one there. And I like, I was watching. Like, Fuck, I've got to try that out. I can't bring myself to do it, man. I tell you, it's a thriving business. They're starting to pump. They're going. They're... Yeah, Joe Rogan made him very famous. But then uh, I used to, when Joe Rogan used to talk about it, I used to. I used to, I felt a bit nervous before I did the first one. But then when, as soon as I lay in there, I just felt so relaxed. And because supposedly what it recreates is like being yeah. in the womb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? yeah. Is that what they're trying to do? Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah. It gives you that full. We're going to have to take a, a GoPro in and film a podcast. <laughs> in one of these things just to see how it goes. You're full naked. You can't be taking yeah. no bonkers. <laughs> no drones. You just fucking film waist up. That's the, Neck that's up the uh, OnlyFans account. <laughs> uh, right, finally, something someone would pay for, eh? Yeah, <laughs> These people yeah. selling only fucking fans pages and they're posting the same photos as Instagram. Genius. Fucking Genius. hell. Um, all right, so let's talk about... So the whole idea of the podcast is turned the hindsight into foresight, right? So yeah. we'll go into depth on the different topics. But let's start just generically. If you look back at you know, your life, what are some things that you can immediately think that you'd love to get back and tell yourself to change that would get you to where you want to be faster? Even though you sound like you've been pretty all over it. I feel, I feel like it's 
Now there's, I mean, there's definitely things I could change, but then I always think I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So it's like whatever happened when I was younger is what led me to who I am today. And I'm <clears throat> like, I'm happy to say I'm fully confident and happy in who I am. So I'm grateful for all, the, all those experiences. But I guess one thing that I could, you could always do is I feel like you've got to make the mistakes to learn the lesson, but maybe to be aware of, because mm. the self-awareness I have now, it's like if I make a mistake in the day, you're conscious of it. Yeah, yeah and then I'll go. I, I journal every night, so then I'll write. I'll write about that mistake, and not not to beat myself up about it, and I try not to, but it's it's just a, what have I learned from that mistake, and then how can I improve on that the next day? So if I could bring that self-awareness to when I was younger, I probably would have sped up the process a lot quicker because there's things that I'll look back on that I did when I was 15 and be like, oh, that's what that meant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to our audience watching, if you know, once we do start getting a bit of a larger audience, that's what you want. (laughs) This is what you want to do. So our audience is ultimately we aim at, you know, 18 to 25 and change them and fast track their lives. You're nearly the epitome of what we want people to understand. Mm. So, and and don't get me wrong, you've still got a long way to go. Like in your mind, you're not finished and, and we say that a lot, but... To be able to be so conscious of what's going on in your life at 24, 25 years old, man, that's a massive, massive achievement. And like I know people, successful people that are 40 years old that weren't conscious of what was going on until 35. Yeah. You know, really, really successful people that go well. And I think mindset and mind state for your, for your me- like mental health, for the way you sort of go about your, yourself, that is probably the, you're probably the healthiest person I've met mentally that I've known. Just, just being, mm. having the capacity to understand what goes on. Because I yeah. say that to Ryan, I, I'm very unconscious at certain times. Like, oh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm okay and I go quite well in life. But there'll be certain weeks where I haven't thought about the con- like the consciousness of anything I've done that week until yeah. after I'm like, what the fuck was I doing that week? Mm. I've just done nothing. It's just been unproductive, you know? Whereas with you, you're like, I'm journaling every night. I'm like, fuck, this is this kid. Yeah, and I think what you said, you know, you got to. This is a commonality with, with guests as well. Is we we learn from our mistakes, right? We're all here for, and what we're trying to do is just trying to pass on, you know, get people, to, some people to learn from some of our mistakes, so they can skip that yeah. process. Because yeah. like, if we talk financially, for example, which we'll get into, like going into debt, we all have people learned that lesson that you don't need to learn that. If you can learn that from someone else. That's not a lesson you need to learn, right? Mm. But it might stop them from going into too much debt or whatever. And, and health as well, you know, like, you know, partying in your early, early 18, 19, 20, mm. not sleeping for four days. Yeah, there's a lesson we learned there. But mm. maybe I could have learned that a bit earlier or, or spent, yeah. you know, living the life a bit, you know, like when you're younger, you live lived the life for probably two years too long, you know, like little things like that. So we want them to, we want them to learn their own mistakes, but we want to try and highlight some things they could maybe learn from us a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, is there anything, anything overall? Do you want to go into the topics that are a bit more specific, try and outline stuff? Yeah, maybe go, maybe go into the topics. It might, it might give a bit of help me laser. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we talk, we'll talk about, we talked before about our triangle to happiness. So we've got the, out we, we developed this triangle to happiness, which is money, living and health. So, Oh, that's it. So balancing, balancing <laughs> those three things, you know, money isn't the goal and never is, but it provides the, the stability to have everything else, you know, just stay on track. You don't need all of it, but you need enough to do what yeah. you want to do. Uh, living, you know, what's the point of having all the money in the world or all the health if you're not having a good time? Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you're going to make sure you balance that living. And then health, you know, you can't, you can't enjoy your money and you can't enjoy your life if you don't have the health. So there's three things we talk about. So we'll start with 
with money. Um, talking about hindsight, what are some of the big lessons you've learned with money over your, um, you know, you've only really been in the workforce for less than a decade probably? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. Got my first job at 17. Yeah, so these, these are lessons, any lessons you pass on are yeah. a good fresh ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think, what, what are, for you, if you could go back to, it could have been last year, it could have been this year, it could have been five years ago, what are some things that you could pinpoint now that you get, yeah, I wish I'd, I wish I'd done that a little mm. bit differently. Yeah, so I think for me it was, it's, it's all been about, and I, when I thought about this this question before, it was linking it all back to what your purpose was. So I think for me it was, like I've had jobs where, you know, like I said, when I was working in the, the legal chambers or working in whatever it may be, you know, the classic uni jobs. Um, it was, your fans. Yeah, I got, got my fan club waiting for the autograph signing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Yeah, no, so about, so I, yeah, I had jobs where, and I'm not saying that they were like massively high paying jobs, but they were things that I didn't want to do. And I was literally just doing it for the money. For the cash. Yeah. And there was no, there was no passion behind it. So it was, to me, it felt like a, a waste of time. And then because there was no purpose with where I was going, what was I doing with that money? It wasn't directed towards a purpose. It was just like, all right, I've just done this job for eight hours that I don't enjoy. Let's go out drinking for yeah. eight hours. And spend Trimble. double what I just made. Yeah, yeah. That's a I like that good point, eh? I like that because I always say to my guys that you, we sort of get caught up with the whole Gary V era and all that stuff yeah. about you've got to work for your passion, but there are some passions that you can't earn a dollar with, and you've got to survive, right? So you just nailed it because you found something that you can do that you love and earn from, but you also said you weren't working in your passion, but you also weren't supporting your passion. You know, yeah, you were yeah. doing, and so it's important because some people it might be travel or something. You know what I mean? But you've got to if you're working to support your passion, that's okay. You've got to understand if you can't, if what your passion doesn't earn money, but you've got to figure out, you've got to be supporting that passion either via work or by what work provides, which is the money. I think what what I, like what I took out of what you just said, you hit the nail on the head. If if you're not enjoying your eight hours a day, what do you want to do? The minute you leave work, what are you looking to do? You're looking to release, you you need some, whereas, whereas with, um, I mean, with, with us now, like we both, we, Ryan loves what he does. Passion for what he does is second to none. It's why it's why he's good at it. And with me, I've found a way to to like potentially like I own art businesses. Right, I'm not an artist. I've never painted anything in my life. He's a bullshit artist. Yeah, <laughs> fucking work. Hey, got me. Work weaseled me way in now. Look, so we own we own uh, you know some franchises between maybe misses and some business partners. And um, what I what I found was that I love to run the business. I love to be the front of the business. I love to be able to do stuff like this and have conversations with people like you or you know, be able to go to a, say, Bella Vista, for instance, say I own one locally to Bella Vista, I could come here, spiel my business to these guys, have conversations. I figured, I was like, this is what I'm good at. I, I'm good at this. I love it. When I, I'm a plasterer by trade, when I, when I was plastering, exactly what you said, I then I go to work, I work 12 hours, no dramas. I, I could take, on a Saturday, I could make 1500 guaranteed Sunday, no money. No money. Oh, yeah. I just because I'd be like, fuck that. I just worked twelve hours. Now I'm entitled to put it all back in the queen of the Nile. No dramas. Yeah. I can do whatever I want with it. But that's a fucking good point. That's a good point. I think the the like going off of that point as well. Like I know so many people um, that are working jobs. You know, that considered to be successful jobs where they're making good money. But there's just no, there's no, there, there is no passion. There's no, there's no enjoyment for that. And it's and it's on that balance. Yeah, exactly. And I and it's you know it's that sort of thing chat to people and be like, oh, I've had a massive week. Like, I need a holiday. But it's like after, you know, after I've had a, 
and it's not like trying to be like, oh, like I'm doing the right thing or whatever it may be. But after I've had a fight, the only thing I want to do is like, I'll have a couple of days off and I want to be straight back in the gym, yeah. improving yeah. again. You know? But it's important as well. Like on the other side, I've got a lot. Of, I've met a lot of clients or prospects that do their passion. Artists, like a classic one, people like art, artsy people, and they don't make no money. And they're just as miserable. Yeah, because they're doing what they love, but they can't survive. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to find that. Yeah, it has to be yeah. like a happy medium. You have yeah. to. Yeah. You, to you have to be able to survive first and foremost, mm. and then build on your passion there. And I think, mm. I think you're you found that like, you found that balance. And I think, mm. but I think being able to have that legal degree behind you as well, like That's not massive, not yeah. dropping out of That's your legal massive, degree yeah. is huge because you have op- options. So when time gets tough, if yeah. times did get tough, and yeah, you because know, coaching wise, you've got to have people coming through the door, right? Yeah. Like. If times got tough, you have a fallback where a lot of people don't have that. You know what a lot of people don't understand is too, like you, you've said you, you've got no passion for law, right? But a law degree, you walk into a job with five other dudes without a degree, you get the job, regardless of what you're applying for. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, And what it shows, it, it shows, one, you've sat here and told us it wasn't your passion, you didn't like it, and you still managed to get through it. That shows dedication to the fact that you started something, you're going to finish it, mm. which to me is massive. 